from MPB Think Radio. This is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Libby Hartfield, the retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, is out this week. You know, there have been a lot of good things happening at the Jackson Zoo lately, including some brand new additions. So E.J. Rivers, the membership coordinator and events assistant at the Jackson Zoo, is here to tell us about the new additions at the zoo from some animals that are listed on the endangered species list. And Dr. Major is ready to take your pet questions today. Call us to join the conversation. The phone number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Or email the show, animals at mpbonline.org. This is Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Libby Hartfield, the retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, is out this week. There must be a stork around the Jackson Zoo because they've got a lot of good things happening there lately, including some brand new additions. So today we'll talk to E.J. Rivers, membership and media specialist, about the new additions at the zoo from some animals that are listed on the endangered species list. And Dr. Major is here ready to take your pet questions. The number to call if you'd like to join our conversation, it's 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Or send us an email, animals at mpbonline.org. If you happen to miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, always remind you that it does repeat Saturday mornings at 6. So good morning. I hope you both are doing well this morning. Oh, I'm wishing that the lower humidities of earlier this week would stick around. Everybody was happier for that. We're doing good. That's good. At one, uh, maybe a day and a half of dry, it looks like it might, uh, in, at least here in central Mississippi, uh, rain again. So uh, hopefully that uh, folks uh, in Mississippi who are dealing with the heavy rains uh, can stay safe and that I hope everyone uh, survives uh, what has been, I think, kind of a wet, uh, wet start to our summer. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, some new additions at the Jackson Zoo this morning, but also looking for your pet questions. So give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB Ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show animals at mpbonline dot org. Uh, I've discovered this morning that uh, cats, at least the one cat I'm familiar with, does not like watermelon which I thought was an interesting surprise. Uh, normally, my cat will at least investigate any sort of human food that he uh, gets near and is uh, very anxious to get near food when I uh, get it out. Uh, but uh, this morning, I was getting some watermelon for my lunch this afternoon, and uh, I tried to get him interested in it. I had a little piece on my hand, and he, it's like he wouldn't even sniff at it. So uh, I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, but in a related note, uh, the Banfield Pet Hospital's 2017 State of Pet Health Report found that one in three pets who visited Banfield Pet Facilities in 2006 was overweight or obese. So maybe more pets need to uh, eat some watermelon. Uh, so, Dr. Major, this is kind of a serious thing, though. Uh, what problems uh, happen? I mean, what are some things that uh, pets suffer with when, when they become overweight? You know, that's an excellent, excellent point. And as far as your cat, 
he just doesn't like watermelon. Some <laughs> other some other cats might like it, but uh, he's he's going to be picky. I've seen cats eat everything from uh, just about you know some cats like asparagus, some cats like carrots, uh, and some will literally steal it and think they're going to eat it if they think they can get away with it. Uh, but yeah, they they tend to have their own individual preferences. You know the weight the weight situation is is just like in humans. Okay, uh, it can affect your entire body, your heart. It can be related to diabetes. Uh, I always try to say diabetes, but diabetes like the head diabetes. Uh, and as animals get older, arthritis is a big big issue with a lot of them. And if they're overweight, it's going to be a be a problem. We've got one dog right now that is. Needs to have a ACL surgery, but uh, is about 15 pounds overweight. So we're trying to lose some weight first before doing that. Just hopefully to help ensure that the surgery will be successful. Uh, but heart, just general state of being, uh, we see a lot of issues with dogs that are overweight. And once a dog gets overweight, it's very difficult to to get the weight off. Or cat and. Um, we see with the older animals, as they start to develop kidney failure in a lot of situations, they start to lose some weight, but that's not a good way to lose weight. And I guess if in terms of things that we could do to help our pets uh, with their weight or weight problem would be um, the one thing I would think would be maybe try to help them get more active. And I would say, especially for dog owners, if, if you know, you want to start maybe getting your dog out walking a little bit more frequently, that would not only benefit your dog, but you're out there walking, burning the calories as well. So it, it would be good for you and a good chance uh, maybe to bond with your dog. Absolutely. And controlling intake uh, rather than having the food bowl full all the time. Uh, measure the food amount. It's more difficult with multiple pets, obviously, but they can be trained to eat certain amount at a certain set time and not leave that food bowl full all the time. A few animals will self-regulate, but a lot of them will not. Well, I had a question because I have two older dogs who are both overweight, and it's been like a couple years we've been working on pulling them back. And I've had several people talk about several different types of dog foods that can change their metabolism. Is Does that work for you, or is it just more of a portion control? Portion control is probably the most important thing. On the other hand, sometimes you go back and cut it in back by a third or half and still unable to lose weight, I would suggest that would be wise to have uh, maybe thyroid checked in some cases. Sometimes that can help with weight loss. That's not the only thing that can uh, help. But portion control is important. There are foods that are maybe higher in fiber. Uh, they're just off the top of my head. There's RD, which is a reduced calorie diet, WD, which is also uh, reduced uh, and there are others. Each major brand probably has their own weight reduction uh, formula, but uh, find out what works in that particular case. Exercising a cat, when you figure out how to get the cats to exercise, <laughs> let me know. I would try to keep as much uh, activity, and you can call it environmental enrichment, uh, like they try to do at the zoo all the time mm -hmm. with the animals. Uh, who wants to have a ladder in their living room, but a ladder, boxes, things with cats. Uh, there is something called One Fast Cat, uh, which is a circular wheel mm -hmm. that some cats will use. Most cats will just sit there and look at it. Uh, and I've noticed on the ads that all the cats that are using it probably started out slim. 
anyway, but there are different things that can be done uh, to try to help the cats lose some weight. Uh, my cat loved that thing, and, but he absolutely tore it to bits. So uh, I, I'm going to have to replace that one because he uh, he certainly he he's like a puppy. He likes to chew things up, and so he he had a lot of fun with that. But uh, I've you know something to me is just as simple as he he likes to chase a ball, and I've got a long hallway, and so we just you know up and down the hallway. He runs and chases it and loses interest for a minute, and then I pick it up and throw it back down the hallway, and he runs down there. So that's you know I think there are easy ways. Uh, to try to get uh, you, you know your pets more active, and again, it's getting you off the couch, and not a whole lot of calories burning by walking up and down the hall, but it sure does beat sitting on the couch. The other thing I've seen that I think might help with uh, the uh, portion control uh, are the the uh, feeding bowls that have like a timer that it little you know opens up at certain times of the day, and that maybe that might be a way to help, especially for folks who might be gone during the day. Certainly, uh, those would be good. But I do have problems with just keeping that food bowl full or a self-feeder. Uh, that really gets to be a situation where most of them cannot control it. They, they eat more than they should. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're going to be visiting today with uh, E.J. Rivers, the membership and media specialist from the Jackson Zoo, talk about some of the new additions at the zoo. And, of course, as I mentioned, we're always looking for your pet questions as well. So let's start out on the phone lines. We go to Nidayuma. John has called in today. Good morning, John. Go ahead, please. Hi. Thank you. Uh, I live out on two acres of land in a rural area. And I want to get a master great Dane. My wife used to have one when she was younger, and she loved it. My research into the dog revealed that the dog sometimes has problems with their digestive system, particularly their stomach, something about it flipping over or becoming twisted up or bound. I'm very concerned about that and what can be done. So my first question is, what can be done to maybe either uh, reduce that particular risk or is there a fix? And my second thing is, is that those big dogs tend to have joint issues later on. So what can I do possibly to keep my dog as healthy as possible if there is a fix? Certainly. Those are all, those are all good questions. And we'll address the first one. The, uh, basically, it's called canine bloat or canine torsion. Uh, and a lot of times it revolves around eating a large meal uh, and then exercising uh, uh, a lot afterwards. Uh, when I used to run the emergency clinic, uh, you could just about count on uh, gastric torsion starting to come in somewhere around 9 o'clock at night, uh, maybe 10. People get home, they feed the dog, then it goes outside and plays soccer uh, with the kids, running up and down the fence, this sort of thing, and it can potentiate uh, a torsion. There is a surgical procedure uh, called tacking. Uh, there, actually, a uh, surgeon would go in and actually <clears throat> tack the stomach to the uh, abdominal wall. Either use there are several different methods that are used, uh, but that would be my recommendation to help prevent plus control uh, what the dog eats as well. Uh, as far as arthritis or joint problems, as they grow older, the big dogs. Uh, can have it, but then again, small dogs can have the same type problem. Uh, in some cases, the glucosamine type products do help. Uh, the, your vet would have different kinds, probably. Uh, and exercise is still important as a dog grows older. It's very difficult sometimes to get them to exercise, but there are products that can help from the standpoint of joint stability and 
regeneration for damaged joints. So talk to your vet about that, if you would, and discuss the possibility of uh, attacking the stomach to help prevent torsion. All right, John, we appreciate your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we've got a caller on the line. Jimmy from Greenville has a question about his German Shepherd, and we'll visit with our guest, E.J. Rivers, the membership and media specialist at the Jackson Zoo. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and a state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. We're visiting today with E.J. Rivers, the membership and media specialist for the Jackson Zoo. She's here to tell us about some things going on at the zoo and some new additions to the zoo family. And Dr. Major, ready to take your pet questions. We've got some open phone lines. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Next on the phone, we've got Jimmy calling in from Greenville. Good morning, Jimmy. Good morning. How are you this morning? Good. Go ahead. Good. Uh, I've got a four-year-old female German Shepherd. Uh, she's mainly a house dog. However, sometimes I, I'd like to have her be able to play in the backyard, you know, for some freedom. But unfortunately, my fence is only four feet tall, and of course, the smart person she is, she knows how to climb the fence. And I hate to have her out there tied down. Any suggestions? Well, uh, you know, are you talking about leaving her unattended in the backyard? Well, well I... I'm afraid that even if I'm out there with her, you know, she's kind of quick. Uh, and I don't know if she would just, you know, right. climb over the fence Poss- and play Poss- with the neighbor's dog. And, right. Well, what kind and, of, uh, is she good on a leash? Does she sit, stay, yeah. Yeah. and heal? You know, those are all important things to at least have some training with that. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I would that. suggest in this, in this case, uh, if you can invest in electronic fence, in other words, they have an electronic collar. Some right, of those outfits right. are not that expensive, but it would give a little right. mild shock. Uh, right. She gets right. close to the edge. Uh, some dogs do quite well with that. I mean, you uh, can certainly look into that. Uh, to tell you, once she starts getting climbing a fence and getting over, it's very difficult to break that that habit. Uh I would suggest looking into something like that. And uh, other than that, it's a real problem if you leave her unattended. And I would rather not 
have her tied out either. And I think that was something that, you know, they can get into trouble. They can get tangled up in the rope. They can turn their water over and then have a real problem if it's hot and uh, get can't get water. So look into that as far as the, uh, they call it invisible fence. Uh, you can actually install those things yourself. So it may be one of the things that you want to look into as a possibility to help you with that. All right, Jimmy, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. In studio with us today is E.J. Rivers. She's the membership and media specialist at the Jackson Zoo. So, E.J., thanks for being with us. Well, thanks for having me. We love coming to talk about some of our babies and, and our, our older animals as well. And, you know, I think some people might think, oh, well, I've been to the zoo. I've seen the animals there. But I guess a, a lot of people might not be aware of a, of a share and exchange program among zoos. So uh, first tell us a little bit about that, and are, are we uh, anticipating any uh, new arrivals in the near future? Well, I do know that our... Our um, adult male Sumatran tiger, uh, Emerson, who belongs to the Jackson Zoo, was recently, he recently arrived at Zoo Atlanta, where he will be starting a family there. He's part of the species survival plan for the Sumatran tigers with the AZA. And they were excited to have him. And he got there and they're like, oh, yeah, he's exactly like you said he was. He's super chill, kind of vocal. But um, he's um, given us some beautiful offspring, offspring like our Echo, who just turned three, and I think he's got Echo's got some other brothers and sisters around the United States. So that happens, and then we got Nakina, who is our uh, female red rough lemur in um, in November of last year, and she recently gave birth to two little boys, and they're about a month old now, and just as sweet as they can be, and we're really excited about them. And they're not on public view yet, but we hope to have some sort of viewing schedule available in our veterinary hospital for those two boys. They've not been named. Um, we just know the firstborn it has a, a long brown tail, and the secondborn has a little white ring around his tail, and that's how I keep the, I tell them apart. But. Um, so, yeah, we do. We have animals kind of coming in and going out all the time. We just had three new kookaburras hatch, which are those are the fun birds that everybody thinks are laughing when they're actually just gossiping. Um, and, of course, Zamora, the baby pygmy hippo, is out and about but being nocturnal and reclusive. She's that's if you can catch a, a sighting of Zamora, it's really a cool thing. So do you have an old gum tree for the kookaburras? I think there's one in their exhibit. Kookaburra sits <laughs> in an old gum tree. <laughs> it's very possible. Um, it's like I, once you go up in there, they've got branches and stuff of all types. Because I know they like to keep different smells and different textures for all of the birds along Bird Rock Walk. So there's no telling what's in there. It's amazing. I guess I used to sing that song in elementary school. But it's amazing how little snippets of things from many, many years ago stick in your head. Today's kids, I think, just go kookaburra, kookaburra. And that's it. That's, you know, that's about as far as they get. So, A couple of things to follow up on there. Um, first, I guess it makes sense that when the babies first are born, it uh, takes a little while before they're available to be seen by the public. What, the health things, what are some of the things well, they're concerned normally, about? Well, um, normally birth happens in the night houses. So they're not going to be a public view because just like a human mom, she's got to feed them every two hours or however often they eat. Nikina was hand-raised in Oregon, and this was her first birth. So she did not know what to do at the birth and they gave her a couple of hours or some time in order to um you know understand what was going on to see if she was going to take to maternally naturally and she did not so um our vet tech stepped in and she's been actually caring for them 24 7 mm. at the veter veterinary hospital and you know um so she's been feeding them every two hours and checking their weights and making sure that they're good they are stable and they have been taking the babies to see mama and daddy and it's it's interesting to see 
once the parents are looking at them and they're like, ooh, what's this? And the babies are reacting and the mom and daddy are reacting. So we're really really happy with what's going on right now. And also, it was good to hear that the community of zoos kind of work together to help uh, make sure that uh, some of the, the animals in zoos around the country that are endangered, uh, that they're, they're around for everybody to enjoy. Absolutely. One of the biggest things that I think like 265 zoos in the United States do is conservation. Uh over a third of the or two thirds of the animals at the Jackson Zoo are either endangered or threatened. So we work with SSP programs all over the United States and sometimes in foreign countries as well, trying to make sure that the genetic line is good and solid, and that our future generations of humans will be able to understand what these animals are, you know, what we're in danger of doing, which is one of the reasons that our dinos exhibit, which is here, this is the last weekend for that. It was see the past, protect the future. If we don't protect the Sumatran tiger and the pygmy hippo and the the red ruffed lemur, they could go the way of the dinosaur. And I think a lot of kids finally understand that. And it's like, you can do things here in America that can save um, habitats in Africa or Europe to protect these animals. Uh, E.G. is going to be with us throughout the hour, so if you have a question about uh, things going on at the Jackson Zoo, you can give us a call. And as I mentioned, Dr. Major here ready to take some pet questions. Got some open phone lines at one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven. 672-7464. We do have some callers on the line. Next, we're going to visit with Robert from Ridley uh, calling in this morning. Go ahead, Robert. Yes, hi. I have a question about an appropriate dog breed. I have three uh, acres. We have uh, a lot of squirrels who are carrying off everything that we'd like to harvest. <laughs> and um, I, I want to start doing some squirrel hunting again. I have grandchildren now. I'd like to have a dog that's appropriate for little kids. Uh, one that will bark if someone comes up on the place but doesn't make himself a nuisance. Kind of a super dog. Everything's <laughs> perfect. So uh, I, I, I had looked into, you know, um, the rat terriers or somebody recommended those and uh, uh, black mouth curs. I'm not sure what. I, anyway, I thought I'd, I heard your show and I thought I'd ask. You know, certainly those are good questions, and I'm glad that you're researching, you know, trying to decide on an appropriate breed. All of those you mentioned are good. The rat terrier, uh, uh, gosh, you know, here in the South, the rat terrier and like breeds were called feist. Uh, yeah, right. And, uh, you know, those those are all squirrel-type dogs. I, I call a feist anything that looked like it would hunt squirrels and go after them. Uh, the Jack Russell is a good dog as well. But okay. and a lot of people swear by the black mouth cur. Now that's a little bit bigger dog than the rat right. terrier, but excellent squirrel dog, excellent hunter. So uh and they're usually pretty laid back as far as not being a yappy dog uh all the time. So that would be an excellent choice, I think, if you could find the right fit. But uh either the rat terrier, uh the feist, if you will, and uh the black mouth curve probably would all be good the, uh, i have a friend who's has a friend who's uh feist had just had got, got six week old pups um I, my experience with feist is that they can be pretty standoffish and hard to get to know you know people who are not family is that right. pretty consistent i'd say it's fairly consistent i think they would be an excellent quote watchdog they would let you know when somebody uh, was there uh, as far as being standoffish with family? They're very gregarious with family, I think, and would be uh, again a, a good dog. A lot of it depends. 
when when you say feist again, you may be looking at a wide variety of uh, both size, color, and uh, personality. So check the parents out in any case if you can prior to uh, getting a puppy that you think would be good. All right, Robert, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Let's stay on the phone lines. Next, we're going to go to Olive Branch. Karen has called in today. Good morning, Karen. Good morning. I have a 15-year-old mixed-breed female dog who is just beginning to be incontinent. Is there anything that can be done, or is it just something I have to deal with? Okay. Are we talking about urine or stool or both? both? A little bit, and not consistent and rare. What kind of dog is she? Um, she's like a 45-pound mixed breed, maybe some lab mix, okay. spade. A couple of things to think about. Number one, uh, make sure that she does not have a urinary tract infection. I mean, that's possible. could be a reason. The other thing would be that a lot of dogs, as they get in that age range, which is exceptional, 15-year-old larger dog, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, develop arthritis and very difficult for them to control both bowel and urine uh, functions. Some of the dogs will go outside to go to the bathroom and you think they're done and then come back inside and and have an accident, if you want to call it that, in the house. I would discuss with your vet, if you would, and see if you can make a determination. An x-ray might help uh, from the standpoint of uh, localizing arthritis. Uh, A lot of dogs have spondylosis, of the vertebra, which they actually kind of join, and it makes them difficult for them to uh, have normal bowel movement. A lot of dogs, females especially, will develop urinary incontinence uh, because of uh, lack of tone in the bladder. Uh, and she's been spayed, I'm sure, years and years ago. And uh, there may need to be an estrogen replacement uh, given, or uh, there's a drug called proin, which is phenylpropanolamine, which helps improve the tone of the bladder. So talk to your vet about those things, if you would. All right, Karen, thanks for your call. Let's get one more call in before the next break, so we'll talk to Sue, who's called in from Beaumont today. Good morning, Sue. Hi. I'd like to ask your guest a question. Uh, I've wondered why aren't there any hominid species in North America, because there are some subtropical climates, you know, down in America that perhaps monkeys could live in, but why aren't they? Why aren't there any? What? What? You're asking why there aren't any monkeys in North America? Yes, uh huh. I saw I saw a little snippet of a of a National Geographic program last night, and they said that they think that like forty million years ago, forty million years ago, there might have been some hominids living in North America. But I, I just wonder why why don't any live here now? Well, I would think because people have kind of taken over um (laughs) uh, now actually it's probably just a a native origin kind of thing um in south america in africa and stuff like that they they have larger forests with more uh resources for a natural born animal population that in north america we really just you know even if we have open spaces it's like montana you know so i think that's that's basically what it is it's just they were they originated out of a certain area and as humans have developed they just stuck to that original area i guess i saw the same program you were talking about it was in panama uh last night maybe not the same program but anyway uh in my knowledge which may be deficient i'm not sure that there were the primates monkeys in north america right at any time 
even though we did have rainforest, I mean, the Delta is a prime example of rainforest up until it was started to be cleared. And But I don't know of any recorded history that say that we had primates or monkeys. Uh, now, you maybe have to get into Bigfoot now. That might be a different story. <laughs> but... Uh, but Panama is Central America, correct? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I'm thinking, I'm and, trying to think of all the animals that were well, in North America. Well, even, even Mexico and uh, Nicaragua, Honduras, all those countries have uh, monkeys. They might and, have, yeah, well, they definitely have tree-dwelling, right. you know, prosimians and right. marsupials and right. stuff like that, which some people mistake for monkeys. No, they actually have howler monkeys. They have, oh, uh, really? They have uh, all kinds. I mean, I, I go to Nicaragua yeah. frequently, and uh, all of those countries have that. Of course, the howler monkeys are obnoxious at about 4:30 a.m. when they oh, start sure. when they start waking up. But and I may be wrong; somebody may have better information. But I don't know of anything that I've read in the past that would indicate that we had monkeys uh, in North America. I can't think of a thing. All right. So thanks for the call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We've got some callers on the line, but we do need to take a quick break. Uh, When we get back, we'll continue taking your pet questions and visiting with E.J. Rivers. She's the membership and media specialist at the Jackson Zoo. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. Our phone number is 1-877-672-7464. We'll be back with more after this. steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. And we're visiting today with E.J. Rivers, who's the membership and media specialist at the Jackson Zoo. We've got some open phone lines, so if you have a pet question or a question about the zoo, uh, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. E.J., I love going to zoos in any of the, the, the cities that I'd like to visit. Uh, I know, though, in the summertime, it does get a little bit hot. Are there best uh, some, some suggestions for if a family wanted to make a, a day at the zoo, uh, times of day to go where they might get a better chance of, of seeing the animals? Because I know, just like humans, they need to kind of stay out of the heat as well sometimes. Well, they find their own spaces. Um, a lot of people don't realize and we've had to explain this. When you go to a zoo, you're not going to a show or a presentation. These animals are in their home. So just like in your house, although if people were watching you, would they see you be playing all the time? Probably not. And, and just like with people, they are most active after they've just eaten. Um, so usually first thing in the morning between 9 and 11 when it's a little cooler, they've had their breakfast. I know like our red panda, Yoda, does his morning, I call him his morning constitutional. So he'll come and go in circles after he's eaten and then he'll find his nap spot, you know, and the cooler it is, the better for him. Um, and the tigers do the same thing. Um, so usually early in the morning. 
Um, sometimes they get a snack around lunchtime. Um, just whenever it's cooler, if it's like cloudy or overcast, it's usually better. Right before um, the animals go to bed at in the evening at, at like 4 o'clock, about 3.30, you'll see them start to get a little bit more active, especially on hotter days because they know they're about to go. You know, it's almost dinner time. They're ready to shift inside. Um, we just encourage people. We're open, of course, from nine and f- nine until four every single day, except for Christmas Day. Always remember to stay hydrated. Always wear comfortable, light-colored clothing. Um, we do sell like off or bug repellents and sunscreens inside the uh, gift shop if you don't already have them. But you know, just like you would if you're playing outside on a summer day in Mississippi, it's the same thing. We have shady spots, we have misters and stuff like that. But sometimes common sense goes a long way. And some comfortable shoes as well. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. Food is a, is a powerful attractor. I remember, I, I think at the Bronx Zoo, the, I think it's the gorilla exhibit, but there is a, a tunnel that you go under, and uh, there was always a the, the uh, several gorillas around. And I said, well, it's interesting how, you know, you built that, and, and they're always there. She said, well, that's where their food is, so that's why they stay there. And in this, I think it was the St. Louis Zoo, it was interesting to me, the monkeys were all turned around facing the other direction. So it's, it's kind of like, as you were saying, this is our home. And so they were trying to say, hey, look, we're in charge here. We don't particularly want to visit with you right now, so we're going to turn our back on and you. Yeah, and it's not even probably conscious for them. It's just they're doing their thing, and you happen to be witnessing it. And that's just the way it is. But we like to teach people this you know, if this is what their home looked like, this is how they would act, you know. So you pe- people act differently when they have visitors. But uh, sometimes when you have visitors in, like, bright-colored clothing, um, they the animals can sense that. They see the bright colors. They smell the, the sham- you know, the smell of the shampoos and whatever you've eaten that day comes with you. So you end up, the visitor ends up being enrichment for the animals as much as the animals are enrichment for the human beings. That's it's really kind of cool. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. Uh, back to the phone lines we go. We're off to Mobile. Mikey's called in today. Good morning, Mikey. Hey, good morning. Um, uh, I'm glad to hear you're all doing well, I shall say. Um, got two questions here, one for the Dr. Troy and one for um, uh, Dr. Rivers, E.J. Rivers. Uh, um, first, of course, Dr. Troy, um, beans as dog treats. I got one dog that's bordering on obesity, kind of like, it runs in the family, shall we say, and uh, another that uh, that has more of a tendency towards underweight, although he's doing better as he's aging. Um, uh, I have found out that they will eat beans as treats in lieu of other things. Is this a bad idea? We're talking about like the green beans or snap beans? Well, this morning I handed them, because it was what I was eating for breakfast, um, uh, 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 some garbanzo beans. I would say that that's perfectly fine as long as it's not in excess, but uh, I would say there's nothing wrong with that as a treat. I think it would be good. Well, that's uh, what they think it is. <laughs> and we've had some dogs that had allergies that uh, actually dermatologists recommended putting on treats of carrots, the little carrots, and the dog loved those. So they're, they're things that the dog can eat, but try to avoid excess in any of those things. Right. Well, if they see me eating it, they usually okay. want it. Like okay. Kevin was saying about the watermelon with the cats, you know, it's like, but they, yeah, they, um, but uh, the beans, they like carrots, not so much, you know, all the, the first bite, yeah, if, if they see each other eating it too. Sure. Go, oh, yeah, that's, that's what I want. I had, had one cat at one time that loved asparagus. If he saw or smells asparagus, he would have a fit almost to get some asparagus. So 
that was an individual thing with him. Yes, sir. Um, thank you, Dr. Troy. And, and um, uh, Dr. Rivers, um, my, my question regarding zoos is um, could you please discuss, since we're in hurricane season and you're in hurricane zone, um, preparations and protective measures as far as um, interactions between the zoos? Um, well, number one, I'm not a doctor, but I absolutely love you for making that <laughs> mistake. I'm like, oh, I wish I were a doctor. Um, no, as far as hurricane preparations, our animal care staff uh, follow rigorous protocol because each zoo in their location is made fully aware of uh, natural elements, what can happen. If you're in a flood zone, you prepare for floods. If you're in a tornado alley, you prepare for that. For us, because we deal with so many different, you know, Hurricane Katrina, um, we have flooding from the river, stuff like that. Our animal care goes through constant, and I think every zoo is exactly the same, especially if they're accredited. Um, you you go through drills and protocols where you know exactly what your animals need in any particular type of weather situation, whether it's heavy rain, lightning, thunder. Um, some of your animals, like your pets, not that they are pets, but like your pets, some animals are more... Um, they they don't like lightning or, you know, thunder kind of bothers them or some of them love the rain. You know, it just really depends. But each animal care specialist, our zookeepers, all the way up to our curator um, and our deputy director, they are aware of each animal, what they need and how to deal with them during certain, you know, natural, I don't want to say disasters, but natural environmental things, mm-hmm. I guess. All right, uh, Mikey, thanks for the call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We have some open phone lines. If you have a pet question for Dr. Major or a question about the zoo, the Jackson Zoo, for our guest E.J. Rivers, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Wayne in Kemper County. He's up next. Good morning, Wayne. How are you doing? Good. What do you have for us? Uh, yes, I have a problem with, I uh, have an Alaskan Malamute. He's about 10 years old, and for the past couple of years, he's had a problem with uh, skin infection, a yeast infection. Uh, last year, it got it, finally, after uh, a lot of tries, we got it under control by uh, uh, using ketoconazole. Yes. Or, yeah, and uh, the vet had to, uh, described, he described it as a pulse dose. Well, I gave him three tabs. Uh, in the morning, three tabs in the evening, three days in a row, uh, wait for three days, and then repeat it a couple of times. Uh, and I also changed his diet uh, to a grain-free dog food. And after uh, dealing with it for a couple of years, that seemed to have cl- it cleared it up completely. Uh, this year, it started to come back. His undercoat is thinned out again. Um, and I was wondering on that uh, post-dosis, uh, how long do you continue that? Because I got concerned when I read a little something about uh, it could cause liver, da- uh, I think it was liver damage or something to that effect. Yes. Well, my thinking is this. Uh, certainly the pulse dosage seemed to work at that time. How many times did you repeat that three-day regimen? About a little over a week. Yeah. I would say this, that you know, certainly you could reduce the dosage. Uh, and do it over a longer period of time. How much does this dog weigh? Uh, he's a little over 100 pounds. Right. It's a large dog. That's what I was wondering when you said three three of the tablets uh, twice a day. Uh, <clears throat> I would suggest this. 10-year-old dog, 
If yeah. he hasn't had a blood panel done, you need to have that done. Check his liver, kidneys, uh, this sort of thing with your vet. Uh-huh. And then upon his advice, either go with the pulse dosage or maybe a lesser dosage for an extended period of time. Uh, ketoconazole is an excellent drug, but at the same time, it can have some side effects. So you're absolutely right. So I'd be cautious with that. Sounds like you did the best you could with the food change. And uh, I would certainly consult with him after doing some blood work uh, as what to do. Okay. Good luck to you. Is there a, uh, a recommended ongoing dose, like a maintenance dose? In some cases, there is. Uh, we've had some dogs that have been on uh, ketoconazole for a month, six weeks. Uh, but there they had a really, really bad infection. And that's the uh, reason they were on for that long. But uh, there, is, there is a maintenance dosage. Talk to your vet about that and see what, see what he says. Okay. All right, Wayne, we appreciate you. your call. Uh, we need to take one final break this hour. When we get back, we've got Reba on the line from Gulfport. We had a discussion earlier about monkeys in North America. She wants to add in on that discussion. And we've got uh, some open phone lines for your questions as well. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be back to wrap up Creature Comforts after this. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. And our guest today is E.J. Rivers. She's membership and media specialist for the Jackson Zoo. A little bit of time left in the show. If you'd like to call uh, in with a pet question or a comment or something about zoos, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. You know, EJ, I know even in my lifetime, the way that animals are presented at a zoo and, and their houses, as we were talking about, their homes have certainly changed a lot. It's it's now really bigger, more um, kind of uh, environments that they live in. And it's not just, you know, cages like it was maybe when I was a little kid. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> is that something that is kind of looked at maybe over long term to try to update these things to make sure that you're always providing them with the the, the best environment? Absolutely. The 10-year plan for the Jackson Zoo that was approved back in 2015 had just a number of exhibit improvements because if you come out and you see the tiger, the JSU Sumatran tiger exhibit, you'll notice that it's double-paned glass. Um, It's easier visual. It's a really good layer of protection from the animal, between the people and the animal for both of their safety's sake. And it's just better to view through glass um, than it is to view through 
cage of bars. Nobody likes the cages or bars. Nobody. But it does take funding to change that. But a lot of the exhibit renovations and um, demolitions and then rebuilds were about those updated standards of visual you know, exhibition where you could actually see the animals and the animals were both were equally protected humans and animals. We would love to be able to do some of that stuff. We actually have plans that we're working on for the discovery zoo. Um, Our leopard enclosure desperately needs some upgrades. We're working on that. Um, Every time we walk through the zoo, we know how we want it to be and how we want it to look. And we're just, you know, you look for the funding and you do what you can when you can and keep the animals as healthy and active as possible with what you've got. Uh, how can uh, people help out if, if someone's interested in, in zoos and especially trying to help out the Jackson Zoo? Uh, what can they do to help? There are actually several ways to support the zoo. You can buy a car tag. There's a Jackson Zoo car tag. You can sign up for the Kroger Rewards Program or the Amazon Smile Program. We're listed on there as well. You can adopt an animal. It starts at 50 bucks for 12 months, and you can go all the way up to $1,000. Both of our rhinos have been adopted for $1,000. Um, you can uh, do a wish list for our AZAC keepers where you can go online, see the things that they need for the animals, purchase them directly, and then just have them shipped. The number one way to support your zoo is to visit and have a membership. But every admission sold, 25 cents of that goes towards conservation both here and abroad. And then also memberships, those are base people. Those are the people that come in all the time, whether it's to see the dinos or just say hello to Casper the giraffe or um, use the splash pad. Membership and a daily admissions are the number one way. The more we get of those, the better off everybody is because the guests can't be there without the animals. The animals can't be there without the guests. So it's really a, a neat kind of interwoven tapestry that we've got going on there. But the number one way is to visit. Uh, and you mentioned the Amazon Smile Program. I guess that's where if you mention the zoo on the front end of your, it's no additional money on your end, but they are giving, Amazon gives some of the money to the zoo. Much like the Kroger Rewards Program, you can go online and select the zoo and you can change it at any time. But it goes for, you can renew it every year, but you select the Jackson Zoo. And then every time you make a purchase on Amazon through Amazon Smile, and it'll tell you how to do that. Um, I think, is it like 2% or 3% that comes back? And it's to whatever charity you choose. Um, there are lots of local charities, and we want to share with everybody. But, yeah, we you can select us as a beneficiary. All right, very good. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines. Zane's on the line from Vicksburg to continue our discussion on monkeys in North America. What do you have for us, Zane? How are you doing today? Good. Okay. Uh, I'm not too – I don't know much about this. It's just stuff I've read. Um, it actually says that in 2008 that researchers from the Carnegie uh, Museum of Natural – history found fossilized remains of a 55 million year old uh i can't uh t heart t magnolian uh, in mississippi mm-hmm. so they said that it suggests that uh monkeys did used to live in the north america they said that they speculate that when we had the mass climate changes mm-hmm. went from where it went from tropical here to where now you get winters is it killed off millions of monkeys and the ones that didn't die they actually migrated south and they got it adapted to it down there and never moved back all right 
That's good. Thanks, Shane. That uh, adds to the question. And that, that does make sense, you know, as, as, in, as the Earth's environment changes, that would obviously cause some change and moving of, 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 of animals and that kind of thing. So uh, thanks, Shane. Good, good point. Thanks for uh, calling us in. Uh, we've got a couple of minutes left. If you'd like to work in a pet question or something about the zoo in the last couple of minutes of the show, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show animals at mpbonline dot org. EJ, uh, one of the other uh, new uh, new uh, members of the Jackson Zoo, December of two thousand sixteen, uh, a pygmy hippo. Tell us that story, if you would. Zamora, she is so awesome. Pygmy hippos are um, very. They're very little is known about them in the wild because they are reclusive. They are nocturnal. They are notoriously antisocial. Um, our two pygmy hippos at the time, Ralph and Clementine, have been a part of a study from um, New Zealand. Uh, doctor comes in every couple of years, and we send her samples from them all the time. But they managed to create an offspring named Zamora, which is uh, means song or praise. Um, and she was born on Christmas Eve to uh, December 24th. Um, and she's been kind of difficult to spot. People come in, they're like, where are they? Where are they? They have a lake. Um, but they also like to find their little hidey holes, and then they come out, and that's where they go. So she's, like, elusive. Um, that is my favorite word for her. But she is doing extremely well. Um, she's a favorite of their keepers. We have a new male in Dagwood, so on certain days, Dagwood will be out in the exhibit, or Zamora and Clementine will be out. But as the mornings are cooler, they come out and play a little bit more. Um, when it gets really, really hot, they come out and play in the lake. But uh, she's doing extremely well, and it's just fascinating to me that that what we know about pygmy hippos to this day was mostly discovered by working with zoos including our two so that's always fascinating the work that zoos do that most people don't even think about we are involved in so many studies every single year um, helping other zoos helping scientists discover things about these animals that hopefully can keep them around for longer and I think that's good because, again, we get to enjoy the seeing the animals in, in sort of their natural surroundings. And, again, we're not aware of, of, of the uh, the uh, preservation efforts and the research going on behind the scenes. Absolutely. And, and let we me do- jump in here real quick. I'm sorry, EJ. Um, I got to pump up you all. You, you guys live stream of the tiger. Um, Sponsored by my alma mater, Jackson State. <laughs> JSU Tiger Cam. That is right. It is fascinating to watch, man. Even if they're sleeping, it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, before we go, remind us of the location of the Jackson Zoo and ours. It's 2918 West Capitol Street. Um, we are open every day except Christmas Day from 9 a.m. until 4 p.m. Online at jacksonzoo.org. You will find all about supporting us, getting tickets online, memberships. You can follow us for real-time updates on Facebook at Jackson Zoo. Our deputy director and the zookeepers run our Instagram account, so you get to see behind the scenes with them at Jackson Zoo. And anytime you have any questions, you can always email info at jacksonzoo.org. All right. That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding provided in part by Wildlife Mississippi, a statewide organization celebrating its 20th year of conserving Mississippi's land, waters, and wildlife. And from contributions from listeners like you. If you need to hear today's show or previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash Creature Comforts. Our show is produced by Jabba Chapman and our call screener today was Patrick Price. For Dr. Troy Major and our guest EJ Rivers, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned up next. It's MPB's Season Pass with Jay White. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.